morning, church. Oh, man, it's good to be back. Good to see everyone back. Happy New Year. It's going to be a good year this year. My wife is expecting a child, as I know many of you already know. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, that's right, Mom. So I beat my brother. I get to be the one that gives the first grandchild to my parents. So how about that, John? All right. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's took two. Um, happy to be here today um, for the new year. We get to celebrate the Lord in the new year, move into this year, praying, Lord Jesus, let this year be better than the last in a lot of ways. And we know that Jesus is with us no matter what. So this morning, I wanted us to look at First Peter. And we know we got a lot of good stuff on the horizon, no matter what the year has in hold for us. But as Christians, we always have something to look forward to. Even if the things here on this earth don't seem so good sometimes. We always have something to look forward to. We always have hope. So I want us to look in First uh, Peter chapter 1 today. The context of this letter in First Peter is Peter's writing to Christians who are suffering. Christians who are dispersed within the Roman Empire most likely during the reign of Nero, uh, A.D. 62, 63, 65, shortly before the widespread persecution of the empire began. And Peter's writing to these, these Christians in dispersion who are suffering, who are struggling, who are beginning to taste what it looks like to have an empire hunt you down and kill you for your faith. Begin to see what it looks like to follow, to truly follow that one who came, Jesus Christ. And so they're, they're in this world, and he's writing to them. And the purpose of his, his letter here is to encourage them, to remind them of who they are in Christ, and to encourage them in that life. And that's where we come today is this very first letter, the very beginning of this letter. We have Peter speaking, writing to these Christians who are struggling, who are in this world, who, for no better word, who are in the fire. And I think this is a lot like us today. We are in a fire that is the world. As Christians, we are alive in the death of the world. We are in the brokenness, the hopelessness. In fact, the word says the darkness of the world. And that's what we celebrated on Christmas was a great light of God came into that darkness and shined a light to find us and bring us home. And so we are in this darkness, and, and that's the context we come into this passage with. 
Let's go ahead and read our passage this morning as we read the encouragement and hope we have because of this beautiful plan of God within the darkness, within the fire. First Peter one, we're going to read through verse 12 today. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent, subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Amen. The word of the Lord. In this passage, we have the plan of God unfolding for those who are in the fire. In this world is the fire, like I said. I have a story I would like to share with you this morning. I've visited and spent time with countless people, well, actually, not countless, I know them, who were in the hospital, who've passed away, and passed away when, in that time when I'm called as a pastor, you're called for the worst moments in people's and families' lives to be there to support, encourage, shepherd, and help. And there's one story of uh, one of these times I was called to come to the hospital to be with an individual who was passing and his family. And it, he was the cousin of one of the elders in our church. And so we, I was called to come. I came with that brother, my elder, to pray over this friend who is a member of our church who was seemingly passing away. And it came to this, you know, really ICU room, and the family was there, and almost all the family were hopeless because this beloved one, his kidneys were failing, and he was about ready to go. And we came in, and you can just see the hopelessness in them as they talk, saying, wondering why this is happening. You know, he was younger, 50, 
And talking with them, you can see that hopelessness in their eyes and in their hearts. But we came in and we prayed over this brother. And he couldn't really respond, but his eyes were open and he heard me talking to him. And just began praying with him and my brother elder began praying with him too and just reminding him of Jesus reminding him of the one who he believes in reminding him of the hope and reading this scripture here that you've been born again to a living hope and a resurrection from the dead reminding him of the hope he had in Jesus and it was a miracle one of the amazing things I also get to see is God do some amazing miracles. And he started to breathe on his own within that week. And he was able to come off of the machines, come back to health. And he had a whole nother year with his family where he came to church and rededicated his life to the Lord. And he brought his grandkids with him every Sunday to church. And I got to teach the grandkids. And I still have pictures they've drawn for me in my office. And he came back. And he was so focused on the Lord because he was reminded of the hope he had in God. Now, see, the other people in that room that he's gone. And sometimes they do go. But there was hopelessness there. Where in my heart and the heart of my elder, his cousin... We said, no, there's hope in Jesus. No matter what happens here on this earth, there's hope in Jesus. And him being reminded of that hope gave him the strength to fight back and to get better. And he had a whole nother blessed year. And at the end of that year, he went peacefully in his sleep. And so they had that hope in him. And that hope was in us who were, belie- who were believers in the Lord. And it was a hope that gave him life for that year. Now, I tell that story because it reminds me of the hope we have in Christ and the power of that hope. That's so much more than just some more breaths for a year. It's a life we have for eternity. The hope we have is a hope for eternity, a life forever. And there's a reason for that. See, God, as we see here in 1 Peter, God had a plan. To bring life to those who are lost in the darkness, to those who are in the fire. To give them a hope in a future. And here we have the unfolding of that plan. That plan that gives us hope. And so in 1 Peter, we have Peter, verses 1 and 2. As I said, he's writing to those who who are elect exiles in dispersion. And he uses the term elect. In verse 2, he says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So in this short passage of Peter declaring to us this plan unfolding, we have more theology than I can deal with in one sermon. This is a this is a class period or two class period worth of scripture isn't it professor this is what we have if you don't know mike was my professor this year in my graduate class so hopefully i'm not going the wrong way in a lot of what i say here brother 
But here we have this theology. We have Peter calling those Christians in dispersion elect exiles. Elect is the term used for the true church. That term elect is important for us to know. And it also goes along with the words he uses in verse 2 where he says, the foreknowledge, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, according to the plan of God, to these who are elect, who are going to be sanctified by the Spirit, who are being sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and covered under the sprinkling of his blood. We have a powerful theology here that God himself is the one who chooses us. And Peter's writing to those who God has chosen who are living in the world to remind them of this plan, to remind them of his plan of how he chose them and elected them and sanctified them. And we have that working of that sanctification in their lives. As First Thessalonians says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this plan being unfolded is the working of God to sanctify us, to bring us to the Lord, to return us to the Father and to atone for our sins. We see that here, the sprinkling of his blood is the atonement of God. Ephesians 1, 7 through 6. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and in earth to him. And so this is the plan of God that we see Peter begin to explain to us. The plan of God, the atonement of our sins, and written in such simple terms, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. That is the plan of God. The unity of all the world being brought to the Lord, being redeemed by the cross, may grace forgiveness of our sins peace making us right with god we now have peace with god the father because of what christ has done may grace and peace be applied to you this is the plan of god so peter starts off his letter saying here is the plan of god and now watch as this plan of god is worked out in your life as he continues verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter declares, here's God's plan and here's how it's being worked out in your life. Because of God's great mercy. And you know, God is called the one of mercy. The one who has kessed love for us. A unfailing mercy. Again and again we see in the Old Testament. Your unending love. Unending faithfulness of God. Because of that unending faithfulness. That unending mercy of God he has for us. For no other reason than that he loved us and wanted to choose us. 
If you're standing here today and you know the Lord, that means he has chosen you because of his love for you, because of the mercy he has for you. He saved you. Not because of anything you did, but because of his love. And he brought you into life. It says the, he has begotten us to a living hope. We have been born again to a living hope through Christ's resurrection. We have a living hope. And this is the plan of God working out in our lives. How was God with this plan to redeem us, to multiply grace and peace to us, to sprinkle the blood of Christ on us? How has that worked out in our life? It's worked out through the, the act of in life and work of Christ on the cross and the living resurrection that came as he rose again. John 3, 3, Jesus spoke these very words. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And here in Peter, we have that declaration in verse 2 or in verse 3, that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And so that's what's happened in our lives. We have been born again to a living hope. As 2 Corinthians says, if anyone is in new Christ, he is a new creation. He has been born again. He is not the old person he was. He has been born again. The old has passed away. The new has come. You have been born again if you are in Christ. The Bible says you have been born again to a living hope. Alive, a hope that is alive. When my grandpa was passing away, he would tell me this. As he would talk to me, I'd talk to him every day, every week. He says, I have hope because my Savior is alive. Our hope is alive because our Savior is alive. Our Savior rose again to new life, so we will know that we will rise again to new life. Because he is alive, we will live. Our hope is alive. And because he is alive, that inheritance, that plan of God, that working out of choosing us and making us his own is being kept for us. As the word says, you have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. Ephesians 1.11 says, We, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. There's the plan of God again, predestining us, choosing us, to be born again, to be made alive to this inheritance. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you will also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with that promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So what we see here in Scripture and what Peter's declaring to us is because of his great mercy, he saved us. And he not only saved us and gave us new life, but he promised a future life, an eternal life, an eternal time with him, an eternal possession of him forever. And in fact, we see declared here salvation itself and the aspects of salvation itself. 
Lots of times when we think about salvation, we think of that moment in our past where we came to know the Lord. I was saved. I was blind and now I see. But what's really going on with salvation as God unfolds this plan in our life is salvation that really has three aspects to it. The first is the past act of justification. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So yes, there's that past act. I have been saved. God has justified, just as if I have never sinned, I have been saved and forgiven. But there's also a present working of that salvation in our life. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, we read, For the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So salvation was an act of God's justification upon the cross and a salvation that continues as God sanctifies us through this life. He is saving you right now. God is working out his salvation in you. As he brings you to that day, that third aspect of salvation, a future promise of complete salvation. Romans 5, 9 says we have been justified by having now been justified by his blood. We shall be saved from the wrath through him. So that act of salvation happens when God justified us on that cross. When God took our place, paid the price that we could never pay, forgave us for nothing else than he loved us. And that when we believe on that, that act of salvation works itself out in our life. And brings us to that day where we will receive the final fulfillment of that salvation. When we see Jesus face to face. Jesus, I said it weird. Hallelujah. When we see Jesus face to face. And not any part of that, of that acting out of salvation is more important than the other. Well, Probably Christ's death on the cross solidifies everything for us. But the past act, the present act, and the future act are all promised to us. Once you've received it, you receive it now, and you will receive it then. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it says that he is guarding you. That word there in Ephesians says that the Holy Spirit has come to be that guarantee of that inheritance that is being guarded for us. And in 1 Peter, when Peter says that, he actually, if you look at the wording in 1 Peter, he says, you have been born again to an inheritance and you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in that time. The Holy Spirit is guarding you. God is guarding you. He has you. It says that, we have to understand again and again the word talks about Jesus himself speaks that he is the great shepherd and we are his sheep and he has us. And in fact, Jesus declares, not one of whom you have given me, Father, will I lose. You can't run away from it because I have tried <laughs> to run away from this salvation, this plan of God in my life. And he brought me back. If you really belong to the Lord, he brings you back. And if it's in, like in my case, sometimes when that shepherd goes and gets that sheep, he brings them back and the sheep runs away again. He brings them back, the sheep runs away again. 
falls down a hill. Eventually, the shepherd goes and gets that sheep and breaks its leg to carry it on his shoulders. That's kind of what had to happen with me a couple times. <laughs> the Lord Jesus went and got me, and he said, all right, you're going to have to learn to rely on me. And the shepherd feeds that sheep from his hand. And the shepherd takes care of that sheep every day. And as he heals the wound of that sheep, now guess which sheep is by the shepherd's side every day? That one whose leg is broken. That's how God acts with our salvation. And so that plan is being worked out. Secondly, that plan of God that is being worked out in our life is also being worked out through the fire of this life, as Peter continues. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, verse 6, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor of, at the revelation of Jesus, Jesus Christ. So we rejoice in our salvation, even though we realize the reality of our present trials and sufferings. But these sufferings and trials and the fire of this world, they test our faith in a powerful way. I'm reminded of the story in, in Scripture of Daniel, well, of his friends, Daniel 3.17. I'm reminded of his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or if you grew up watching te- uh, VeggieTales, Shadrach, Meshach, and a bumblebee. And these friends of Daniel's who were leaders in the kingdom and in, that was under uh, control by Babylon and eventually Persia, they, would, they had faith in the Lord so much that they stood in faith to God even when the king said, worship me. And the king set up idols, and those who followed the king had to worship the idols, and those who followed the Lord stood against such idols. And so the king took these three men who stood against the, and I have to sum up this a little bit, who stood against the king's command to worship him, and instead they worshiped God. They were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And their words to the king was, in verse Daniel 3, verse 17, we read, If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to, to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And King Nebuchadnezzar threw them into the fire, and they did not burn. And when they looked in the fire, we have these words here. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. Verse 24 of chapter 3 of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered him and said to the king, true, O king, we did. And he says, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. We here we have a beautiful picture of Christ in the fire with us. Even then, we have that story of the three men of faith being thrown into the fire. In fact, they had faith in the Lord said he will deliver us from this fiery trial. And I think that may be a reference that Peter's giving. 
that as they stood in the fire, they were unharmed because Jesus held them. So us, too, when we are in the fire of life, and yes, this is a different story. We have to understand we are burned by the fire that we have here in this earth because this earth is broken. We struggle. We have pain. We have sorrow. We have sadness. We see loss, but we are not touched in our hearts. In our souls, we are guarded. We are protected by the Lord who walks with us through the fire. He is guarding us as the Lord guarded them through the fire and their faith in the true God was proven to be true in that fire. So we are guarded through the fire in our life as our faith is tested. So yes, that salvation, that plan of God is being worked out in our life and it's even being worked out in the fires of our life. And in fact, the fires of our life Test us, show us that our faith is true, it is gold. As in fact, our faith is being burned and the grime and muck is being burned away from it. And all that's left is our faith. All that we have left sometimes is our faith. And this is the working of the salvation of God in our life. And this is the declaration of that truth as Peter continues. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the proclamation of our faith, of that salvation. We rejoice because of what Christ Jesus has done. Even though we don't see him now, we believe and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible because of the living hope we stand in. Because of the hope we have, this life we have, we rejoice because God's plan for his elect is being worked out even in the fire. And that's how Peter closes this section. He reminds them. That that plan, that promise that we rejoice in, you can have confidence in it because it was the plan guaranteed of by God from old. As he finishes this section section concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Those who wrote the Old Testament, those who are brothers and sisters of the faith of the past. Looked at the coming of the salvation inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things to which even angels long to look. So the writers of the Old Testament, the writers of our faith, they were writing the promises of God that we now see. And we, here in 2022, are looking back at the promises of God being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what's declared to us in in Timothy. Paul declares it to us in verse 16, or verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Because all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So what we see here is the plan of God promised from the very beginning of time 
being worked out in our lives because of His great mercy for us. So, what is our response to this? What is our response to this beautiful picture of the plan of God working out in our lives? I think number one, we know that and are to be reminded that God's plan to bring grace and peace to whom he has chosen has come. You should be reminded of that. That's the first thing we got to do. Be reminded of this living hope of God. Secondly, we are to rejoice in God's working out that plan in our lives. That he's guarding you. That he's saved you, he is saving you, and he's bringing you to that day of glory when we are taken up and see Jesus face to face. And then Jesus begins to complete his work here on earth. We rejoice as he makes this plan happen in our lives. And we are to have confidence that this plan of salvation was founded on the very promises of God. Because this plan of salvation was founded on the very promises of God from old, we can have confidence today that it's true, that God has saved you, that God has made you alive, that God is working this celebration of life in your life right now. As the new year begins, it's a time of thinking about things that are becoming new. New starts, new resolutions, new growths of spring, new plants, new life being born, little New Year's baby. But I believe it's also the perfect time to be reminded of that new birth, that new hope that has happened in us. We've been born again to new life. That working of that plan of God out in our life has made us alive. We have a living hope in Christ Jesus. And that's that plan of God, that we are born again to a living hope that guards us through this life, refines us in this life, redeems us from this life to the promise of the life to come. That is that plan of God. And that is our living hope. Because Christ lives, that plan is true. Because he lives, we will live too. And then that hope, that living hope of God flows out from our lives. In fact, Peter continues on in a later verse, and I'll close with this. Peter says in verse 22, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincerely brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. You have been born again of an imperishable seed. When you have believed on the name of Jesus, you have life being breathed into your body. That imperishable seed that cannot be touched by anything of the enemy. That cannot be touched by anything in this world. Neither death, not even life, not war, not sickness. Nothing can touch that seed that God has planted within you. You have been born again, and that seed grows up in your life, and you have been made alive. And that life within you that comes from the Word of God Himself who came and saved us, it pours out from us. It flows out into our life. We are to love from that pure heart. We are to live 
from that pure life. We are to live in such a way that we reflect that new life that is within us. You have been risen again. You are standing with the risen Lord right now. You are alive because he is alive. So live that true life in the midst of this fire. You have been born again to imperishable seed. Remember that. Rejoice in that. Have confidence in that. And live that in your life. You've been born again to a living hope. Live that hope. Amen. We need to. We need to live that hope. Not just for ourselves, because there are so many people lost in this darkness who need that light. There are so many people lost in this darkness who, if they could just see that living hope within us, can find the Lord who, when they lay on their deathbed, they don't lie in hopelessness, but they celebrate in joy, inexpressible joy, because they have a hope. They have a light. An imperishable life within them. And so we need to be people of that life so others may come to know the Lord. Even in the fire, we have light. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this truth that we have life because of your plan, Lord God. Your plan that was predestined from the beginning of time. That's been worked out through the working of your son, Jesus Christ. As his blood was spilt, we were washed white as snow. As he rose again to new life. New life was breathed into our spirits. And as he lives so we live too, as you work out that salvation in our, in our lives, we are alive. Even in the fire, we have life in you. Even in the fire, we have our hope that gets us through. And we have confidence in that hope because it's based on your promises of old that are revealed to us now. So God, help us hold to that truth. Remind us of that truth, truth of our hope in you, of that plan being worked out. Help us to rejoice in that truth. Help us to have confidence that we are saved and that you are saving us, that you are guarding us, that you are keeping us for that day where we stand with you in glory. And God, let that imperishable seed, that new life within us flow out, shine out into this dark world because there are others who are still in the fire and you've called us to go into the fire so that you may pull them out. And God, we give you all praise, honor, and glory for that work, that plan you have done for us who you've chosen, that plan you are doing for those who have yet to come to you, but who you are calling. Help us to be your hands and feet. Help us to be your light in this world so that we can reach those who are lost, reach your lost sheep and bring them home. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this truth. Thank, thank you for this truth of your glorious living hope that we have been born again and stand in now. In your name, Jesus, we pray and we thank you. Amen. Amen.
Amen. At this time, I'd like for us to prepare our hearts for communion. As we take communion, we, we remember that, yes, because of what Christ has done, we now have fellowship with the Father and fellowship with one another in a way that it was meant to be. So with all, I'll ask our uh, elders to come up and uh, take this time to pray as we um, dismiss or administer the communion. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Heavenly Father God, we just pray that you would focus our eyes, our hearts, our spirits upon you right now, that we remember what you did to save us. Let us leave everything else at the door and lay our whole self before you right now, Lord, as we remember what you have done, and we remember our faithful